welcome everyone to the Sports United podcast. This is episode 11. Thank you everyone for listening and uh, we have a really interesting episode with us. We have our European sports reporter Castro joining us this week, giving us insight on the EPL return and what it's generally been like in Europe and the UK so far since all this has gone down. So we're going to get into it. Cam Newton has signed a one-year contract with the Patriots. His contract is for just over a million dollars, with most of the other money going into a performance-style contract. As long as he gets all those accolades and numbers that he needs to in his contract, it could be worth almost $7.5 million. That's if he reaches all his bonus requirements. Patriots, I guess, are not going for the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes and are again trying to win the AFC they could do it I don't know how Cam Newton will be but he's putting in a lot of work this offseason so who knows how he'll deal with Bill Belichick and this is our chance to see how Bill will react with a different quarterback can he work with a running style quarterback will the Patriots be good it's going to be uh, coming down to uh, how well this offseason has gone I think Cam has been working out great but how has the rest of the team been doing and how do they come together during training camp that is what we'll need to figure out as the training camp begins which could be coming up very very soon at the end of July. Also speaking of the NFL, uh, the NFL will be cutting two weeks of the of the preseason. Might just be for this year. Only We can only hope there's only really two preseason games. I get having preseason games but the CFL only has two preseason games so I think we can just cut it to only having two. They're making the training camps longer since everyone has been in quarantine or video workouts they haven't been working together so to give them time to work as a team together get to know each other better. This is what NFL fans have been looking forward to is having a shorter preseason. No one likes preseason. I get the NFL likes to have its four-week preseason. The CFL does it in two and I think having a little bit longer training camp and then going into preseason games, forcing teams to make that decision a little bit sooner than carrying people through over a month long training camp with games is a little little much. So this is giving teams time to get together, build that chemistry a little bit longer. The season will still start on uh, the 10th of September and training camp looks to be starting on July 28th. So. Hopefully they stick with this. They'll try this for this year and we'll see how it goes. The MLB kind of has its maybe stuff getting together. We'll uh, we'll find out, but they have announced there are some changes to the rules for this year. Don't know if it'll stick for the years going forward. For this year, all DH hitters. So no matter if you're in the NL or the AL, you will have a DH. That means no pitchers are hitting. I'm fine with that. You don't really need to see pitchers swinging and missing. For every Bartolo Colon hit you get, you get 20 pitchers looking really scared when they step into the batter's box. I'm fine with that. Also, what I find is a good rule coming in, but people are a little upset about it, is the extra innings. To make it a little bit faster, we don't need a 19 any game when it's the middle of the season and it looks like those two teams are out of it. We don't need a second game because 
things are tied. So how this will work is in the extra inning, you will always start off with a runner at second. Now, how do you determine that? So whoever is starting batting in the extra inning when your team is up to bat, the person that preceded that batter will go on second base. I think this is a good step up. Make games a little bit faster, especially if they go into extra innings. I know you can't have ties, but this is a way to kind of speed it up and get games to finish in the 10th or 11th inning, not the 18th, 19th, or 20th. Base, uh, the postseason, that's a different, completely different story. Just like in hockey, you don't have shootouts in the overtimes. You just go till someone scores. This is the exact same. So I'm happy with this, but it does appear that some baseball traditionalists don't like this. This is how you build the game. This is how you grow the game. It makes it a little bit more exciting, more strategic too. You might get a runner who's really fast on second. All depends on kind of how you build your batting order as well. This comes into it. Speaking of that, other rules that have changed is there'd be no traditional exchanging of the batting order. It'll be done electronically. No spitting. You can have bubble gum, but no spitting or no chew. Pitchers uh, can have a wet rag in their pockets to wet their fingers instead of licking them. Sign of the times, that might be a really hard switch for the pitchers. Uh, it's going to be a very unique season and uh, it's going to start with the Nationals hosting the Yankees on opening day, which uh, is still on track right now to start uh, towards the end of the month because it's already July. Training camps are scheduled to start on Friday, and it appears Toronto is still it appears Toronto is still scheduled to do their training camp in Toronto, and they're still trying to play games. I don't. How are teams going to? If you come from the states, you're still required to quarantine for 14 days. I don't know how they're going to go around that. They're looking for exemption that if. A team comes to Toronto, they just stay in the hotel and then they go and play and that's it. That seems a little unrealistic. And then when Toronto comes back, it it's a whole mess. I don't see how it's gonna they're gonna make it work, but Toronto's still trying to play home games in Toronto. I mean, it maybe it looks to be safer than Florida right now, where they're spring training camp is or where they might play in Tampa Bay but I just don't get it it doesn't make any sense to me we got our first images of Fight Island that was the big talk when sports were starting to be talked about coming back the UFC was like we're buying an island we're gonna have Fight Island everyone's super jacked up we have finally found out where Fight Island is and it's not quite what it sounded like. So we got our first images and it's what you think of a UFC cage on a beach with the palm trees and nice sand. That's going to be the practice cage, which is still pretty cool. You get to train on the beach in the sun, uh, in the sand with the water right there. But the actual island where Fight Island is taking is Yas Island, just kind of like Yas. So it's on Yas Island in Abu Dhabi. Uh, but it is in an actual arena. So the actual fights, the first fight will be taking place is UFC 251 on July 11th. That will be in an arena, but practice cages will be on the beach and what you think of when you hear Fight Island. So a little different than what we thought, but it's still pretty cool. And we're going to get our first taste in uh, just over a week. Now it's time for some news that will unite us all. Oh boy, oh boy. I won't get into the draft. Just won't do it. We are going to have a huge episode, a huge hockey episode next week with Alvaro, our hockey expert. We're going to break everything down. 
Uh, we've kind of kept Alvaro in the dark to get his reaction right away. So that'll be on the next episode. Few more announcements have come out that did not see coming. And it appears that we're going to get an announcement on Hub Cities any day now. And things are just being finalized, if you will, between the two sides. So we could get an announcement uh, maybe Friday tomorrow, kind of a rectifying after all the players have voted uh, that will set in motion the timeline for the start of the NHL season and the hub cities. So it looks like uh, it could be around July 13th that training camp start and it looks like games might begin uh, on August 1st. So around the same time as basketball is scheduled to start. Uh, but again, we won't get into it too much. We'll save it for next episode. But man, I have some feelings about the draft. Like a lot of people, that's not just because, you know, I'm a Suns fan and we didn't get the first overall pick. I'm actually pretty excited with the third and fifth overall pick, but I'll save my uh, my feelings for next week. But just, we might have a major announcement for hockey come next episode. Timeline's kind of set, but everything is fluid, so things might change an hour from now, an hour from when we post next week's episode. Things might change at the end of the month. We don't know, but having kind of targets to look forward to is very, very exciting. The NWSL returned. We had our opening week on. We had our opening weekend kickoff the Challenge Cup for the NWSL. All teams have played at least one game as of this recording. And at the top of the table, the Washington Spirit and North Carolina Courage are at that top with a 1-0 record. These games are all for seeding as each team will play four games and then the tournament knockout phase will begin. Next set of games are set on July 4th and you can go on the website uh, nwsl.com to find out where to watch the games. You can either watch it on CBS All Access in both the United States and Canada or they do stream games on Twitch as well. Another league has confirmed that they are coming back. The Canadian Elite Basketball League is officially returning with a tournament in St. Catharines. The Saskatchewan Rattlers are looking to repeat as champions uh, in the league. The tournament will go from July 25th to August 9th, like I said, in St. Catharines. A 10-day training camp will happen before. They're looking to bring back all the players to their respective teams to begin a training camp. This is also to give teams time who have international players to come over the border and quarantine the proper amount of days. So, the league is still working with the Canadian government to allow those players in and quarantine to get ready for training camp. And you can watch all those games on CBC and CBC Sports once the tournament happens and get ready for those tournament games. Speaking of soccer, when the EPL went down, it looked like another lost season, but it hurt the most Liverpool fans. It was kind of a reminder of what happened with the baseball strike in 1994 with Expos fans are pretty confident that they would have won the World Series that year and downhill from there. Not saying that this would have happened to Liverpool, but such a record-setting season they were having and this happened just really put a damper on lots of Liverpool fans what they were thinking. When the league came back, it was only a matter of time at that point with the division there was in the standings. Liverpool has won their first EPL title, becoming the seventh different team to win an EPL title. It's their first title in England since 1990. 
Liverpool has won the title with seven matches remaining, which is a new record to clear winning with seven games remaining. Remember, each win is worth three points. So teams can stay in it or not clinch the championship for a while. Amazing record to have it. They're having such a dominant year and they're not done yet. They're still looking to break the record for most points in a season. The current record is 100 points and with seven matches left, uh, Liverpool needs to win five, except they had a match today and they lost 4-0. So that means they have six remaining games and they need to win five of them. So they have to win five of the next six matches to get to 101 points, which is the magic number to break the record. So their loss today really puts a damper on their on their journey to break the points record champions because Man City could not catch them up. Now they did play Man City today and lost so that game could have had bigger implications if Liverpool was not running away. This was only their second loss of the year. They have 28 wins, two draws and two losses. That is insane. To put that in perspective, Man City who's second has 21 wins, three draws and eight losses and Leicester City has 16 wins, seven draws and nine losses and they're in third place. So the point total right now is 86 for Liverpool and they have six remaining matches and Man City is at 66 points. Leicester City is at 55. There's a little bit of a crowd from third to sixth and we talk a little bit about that uh, with Casera. So there's, it's not finalized on who will qualify for the Champions League next year and Europa Cup. Congratulations to Liverpool. Uh, you deserved it this year. You basically had it from the start to finish. We're going to queue it up to our sports report with our European sports correspondent, Castra. All right, and welcome everyone to the sports reports. Uh, of course, this is our segment where we interview people in the sporting community and now we have our European sporting uh, correspondents coming from the UK. Uh, we have uh, Kasra. Uh, thanks man, thank you for having me on. Uh, I feel uh, very official with that title. Uh, I don't have a British accent so might lose some cred right there but live here for a year or so so I can, I guess I'm closest thing to an expert in European sports in your circle of uh, experts. That is very true. Uh, so uh, what has it been like, uh, especially in Europe, how, you know, crazy they are for their different sporting uh, leagues and communities? Uh, how did the public take it when everything just kind of stopped? Uh, well, I remember I was the the first game that got canceled was actually a, yeah like, the first big deal like when we realized that shit is serious uh, is when Arsenal Brighton got canceled because other leagues other sports were slowly winding down I remember that uh, I remember like uh, in in Germany and France and Italy that already stopped the league at that point but the UK just 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 like they did outside of the context of sports, they were kind of slow. They were they were fighting the lockdown as much as possible. So when Arsenal, uh, when I think it was two Brighton players that tested positive, and then the Arsenal manager 
when that happened and they had to cancel the game and then within i think it was within 24 hours not only they canceled that game they canceled it not canceled but they paused the whole league uh that's kind of when people started to realize all right this is this is serious it's it's a thing here and uh i don't think a lot of people understood exactly how long this is going to last a lot of people just thought all right we're we're gonna just those players who have it, they're going to isolate for two weeks or whatever, and then we're going to fire things back up. But then, as we all know now, things got really out of hand in the UK to a point that it was one of the worst hit places in the world until very recently, until America and Brazil overtook it. It's still the third highest death, if I'm not wrong. So I think initially the first week people were bummed out because sports were canceled but things were not on lockdown yet but then by the time lockdown kicked in people were just so afraid and so their minds were so busy that they kind of didn't care as much so uh yeah that being i mean i i personally had plans to go to watch a game on the 17th and like that obviously that got canceled the 17th of march that is so yeah, I was bummed out. My friends were bummed out, but uh, we just we just basically thought it's not going to last that long, and uh, so it was kind of like a slow burn. It wasn't like a sudden shock where people were just like, "No, let me watch sports." So yeah. they took it better than in America. Uh, from what I saw online, and that's my understanding of how things were going in America. I, I don't know exactly how they were going in Canada. Uh, yeah, I, I would say people were, uh, yeah, they took it better. They were less shocked. <laughs> they they knew what was coming, especially because they had already seen that uh, other leagues had gotten canceled. They kind of knew it was coming. They just weren't sure exactly when. But they were kind of mentally prepared for it anyways. It, there, there was a period of uncertainty of uh, uh, what's going to happen because I think the French league cut, they just called up, their league like three weeks into their lockdown they just said that the season is done and there was a lot of fears of that i think that's the biggest thing that people were complaining about is like you can't cancel the league even even people who were like uh liverpool fans sorry, people who are not liverpool fans were saying this is not un- this is not fair to them like imagine like how unfair it would be that man U fans would be like no guys you can't cancel the league we gotta play it you gotta you know these guys gotta win so yeah yeah. So, so having moved from North America to uh, the UK, uh, what has the transition been in the sports culture? Uh, what people talk about, how on a day-to-day basis, what consumes uh, people's lives uh, in the sports way? Um, well, it, it's, it's kind of dependent on which circle of people you're in. And these are like, these are little things that I didn't know before moving here that uh, there's, there's even an element of class when it comes down to what sports people follow. So like middle class and upper middle class, richer schools growing up, the ones that were not council schools, uh, they, they played rugby. So if you are a bit more posh, you're a rugby fan and that's what consumes and uh, if you're you're a football fan so 
that's that's definitely one thing that, that uh, stands out to me in the sporting culture and that divide of class and what sports you follow. Because I find in Canada, at least, it's people of all walks of life will watch hockey. People of all walks of life will watch basketball or football. Maybe maybe uh, maybe I misremember it, but would you agree that it's it's quite it's not uh, what sport you follow, right? No, I, I agree. Yeah, there's not that much of a class divide uh, like you're talking about here. There, you know, all sorts of people like watching hockey or basketball, especially with the Raptors winning. It, you know, encompassed everyone. It didn't leave anyone out uh, in watching or talking about it and in that aspect. So I, I agree. And uh, uh, I guess another thing is, uh, I mean, compared to, comparing this to Canada, again, I cannot talk about this in an American context, but uh, the way people uh, view uh, teams from their country succeeding in a continental league. So uh, a, a British Spurs fan, it does not give a crap if another British team wins the Champions League. They have to think <laughs> if... if I don't know if Arsenal's playing Real Madrid. There is no national. Whereas in Canada, even if you are, let's say, uh, I don't know, this might be, I might be overstepping on my hockey knowledge, but I would say deep down inside, if a Leafs fan, even a Leafs fan, if it's like the Canadians in a final against an American team, deep down and inside, they might want the Canadians to win just so a Canadian team won. But maybe I'm, maybe I'm overstepping my. There are definitely fans that will say that, and then there are, there's definitely a lot more than in the the soccer in the soccer aspect there, where uh, you know the Spurs fan would not cheer for Arsenal. Where there'd be probably maybe up to fifty percent of like a Toronto fan cheering for Montreal or Ottawa to win the cup because they're a Canadian team. Yeah. I mean, it would probably be better if like you know not your rival team would be in the Stanley Cup because you don't want to concede that but uh definitely in canada there's more of a a happy or a, a, i hope they do well yeah uh but yeah i'm just trying to kind of think, like i i'm just trying to think what other ways people consume sports differently here um do you I, think I do you say it's more readily available to the consumers uh, there instead of having to yeah. buy like a sports package or. So here's the, here's the, here's the crazy part. Uh, in, in Canada, I could pay for pass or whatever it was on a cable TV and get any game I want anywhere, anytime being played. Uh, what here there is uh, rights are split between three different companies. It's Sky Sports, BT Sports and Amazon Prime now. So there is no such thing as a sports pack. You're not guaranteed that you're going to watch uh, the team that you like. It's, and also, my understanding is that uh, there's a lot of regional lock, uh, um, what do you call it, blackouts. So in certain regions, to get the fans to go to pubs or to go to the stadium itself. It, it, so to answer your question, it's, it's actually more difficult um, to watch sports live, especially in context of football, uh, than it was in Canada. 
whenever I'm watching a stream, I'm basically like watching a Canadian stream or an American stream because you just can't get those in on TV that easily. And uh, unfortunately, because of that, a lot of the small time teams don't get their spotlight. They might get, you might get like two or three Brighton matches for Sky Sports the entire season. And then everything else that you're watching is uh, basically an illegal stream. Because, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they don't give you the option. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, so availability is uh, definitely less. Uh, but uh, pride in your local teams, I would say it's, it's a lot more. Like I've, I've gone to like rural Wales where I watched games where their fans are cheering for a tier four team the way that you would see someone cheer for like the Spurs, like they're, they're, the passion is there. I would say the passion is stronger for, to support your local small town teams here compared to what I've seen in Canada. But then again, I haven't literally gone to sporting events in small town Canada. So I might be misjudging how it's, how much it means to the community. I would say the community support is there for maybe like a hockey team, but not, not something like a, a football team or. Uh. I had a little uh, little accident here. Uh, is it possible for us to pause for a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, give me a moment. So uh, a question that wasn't on there, but uh, we'll go into is uh, how is the the gambling community and the sports betting uh, a lot different? Do you think North America is too far behind to catch up? I know the U.S. is what's really will be the catalyst here in North America, and they're slowly starting to make sports betting legal. Um, do you think that they could model after the sports betting in the UK or should they go a different route? Uh, I would actually, I don't, I would not want to see the sports betting culture that's here to exist in North America. It's, uh, I find it quite, it's, it's, it's pretty bad here. Uh, you got bookies, like sports betting shops, on every high street, multiple options, and uh, it, it's just too readily available. Oh, when you're watching sport, when you're watching a sporting event, I'm not exaggerating when I say that about 80 to 90% of the commercials are for sport betting websites or uh, these sports bet shops. So maybe America is a bit too restrictive, but I find like that's probably a better thing than it is compared to what they have here. It's too readily available. It's promoted too much. Uh, it's consumed basically in the Premier League. Seventy percent of the jersey advertisements are for sports betting shops, and yeah, it's just not healthy. Like some of these shops, I I I, I do go into these bookie shops to like bet on a game but it was just so depressing when you go in there it's like take the most uh, grimiest casino you can think of in Ontario and then like amp that up by a hundred that's the vibe that you get it's yeah it's 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 too strong here 
then it, it needs to be toned down. Like the association that we have with like beer and sports in North America, it's, it's that, but with gambling here. And uh, yeah, so definitely a no-no. So take me through it. You go see your first EPL game live. What is that experience like? Uh, the first match I went to was uh, Fulham. It was uh, Fulham uh, Bournemouth, I want to say. Yeah, I think it was Fulham Bournemouth. Um, it, it, it was kind of surprising, first thing that – actually, okay. So I'll start. I get outside of the stadium, and there's just food trucks all alongside the wall. So again, starting off somewhere that you don't, you don't really see. I haven't seen that in Canada where there's just food stalls outside of the stadium, but just like hundreds of, not hundreds, like 10 of them at least. And uh, very crowded. People just, because you can street, drink in the streets here, people having a pint before they go into this, uh, the venue. And uh, yeah, you go into the venue, it's uh, much smaller. Seating is smaller, uh, just like everything else here. Things are smaller, uh, so less space. Uh, I was going to grab a beer to go to sit in the stands and watch the game, grab the beer. And then the person who took me to the game, who gave me the ticket, uh, his friend's ticket, uh, he's laughing at me. He's like, you better finish that in five minutes because the game starts in five minutes. And just like, what are you talking about? It's like, yeah, you can't drink in the stands. And I was shocked because I was always associated British football fans with being <laughs> drunk, drunk people. <laughs> and, and it turns out the reason that they're so drunk is because they basically hardcore drink before the match. Uh, you can drink in, um, in the concession area, but you can't actually take your beer into the stands. So basically you just have to chug a pint, go. And uh, I was actually in, um, I was in the South end. So it's not the greatest view. Obviously being in the middle would be a bit nicer, but to what, rather than watching again from behind a, uh, what do you call it, from the behind a goal. Uh, but yeah, the moment I got in, I was shocked by the fact that there's no uh, banners telling you to make some noise <laughs> or pump up the volume, none of that stuff. <laughs> People just do that. They got their own songs. It's, they got, yeah, it, that, that, was, that was probably one of the best parts of the experience was how organic everything was. Uh, the quality of the match was pretty, low on Fulham side, which was a team I was cheering for. It was their stadium. Uh, last season, Fulham was a really, they, they were really poor. And uh, yeah, just, uh, you, I, I was, from my, from what I was told, Fulham fans in particular are not a really fair representation of your traditional football fan. They're like more of a, they're a richer neighborhood. So it, they're the type of team that if you're, if their opponent does well, they will actually like, you know, Pat, guy, you guys, that was a nice goal. Uh, so they're very cultured. They're like the Canadians of British sports fan. Uh, but yeah, basically my experience wasn't as sloppy as I thought. It wasn't as violent as you would imagine from uh, uh, TV depictions of football hooligans. So yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a very good experience. It was nice to see, the, see the, uh, a game in person.
So let's fast forward to this season. What uh, have you paid much attention to the EPL season before it was put on pause and its uh, return? Yeah, EPL is basically the uh, the league I watch. I I try vaguely watch some La Liga and Bundesliga and Syria, uh, but I basically watch at least any, one EPL game a week. So I'm up before or after lockdown. I've I've been quite into it, so I have a good understanding of what's happening. So try and put in context for the North American listeners uh, how dominant is Liverpool's season this year? Because you can look at, if you pay attention, obviously, you know, I can tell like, yeah, they're having a fantastic, you know, almost once in a, for them, once in a club, you know, uh, season because they haven't really done this before. Um, But for like an average person who watches football or soccer or only watches MLS or like their, you know, U12 Sun Uh... soccer team, to put it in context, I am, let's see, this is the Bulls. This is the 90s Bulls. This, this team is something else. Um, just on paper, obviously, the stats speak for themselves. Uh, they're most likely going to break the record, just from, that's my personal opinion. I think what is 101 points? I think so. But whatever it is, I, I feel like, I, I, I did the math, like, halfway through the season and I kind of figured that they're going to do it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just the quality of the game that they play is unreal. The, the opponents, uh, they dominate position. The two best forwards in the world right now, I would say Sadio Mane and uh, Mo Salah. Those two guys are Pippin Jordan of, of the game right now. Um, I don't think I have ma- – actually, you know what? I think the closest thing to this quality of football might have been the Madrid of the mid-2000s when they had all the stars. That's probably the closest thing that you can bring, like, compare them to. Uh, but the EPL has traditionally been a lot more of an even league compared to La Liga. Mm. Uh, so, Real Madrid and Barcelona, uh, it's always one of those two, whereas – for a team to dominate the EPL the way that Liverpool has, it's, it just makes it so much imp- more impressive because there are so many other teams that have as much money, if not more money, than Liverpool. Whereas when Real Madrid did it, it's because they just basically pulled the Yankees and they just bought every star they could. So yeah, it's impressive, but it's not to the level that Liverpool is. Well, yeah, this is probably... Sorry, sorry. No, it's it's just like uh, you know in the Bundesliga, you know Bayern Munich's won eight years in a row, whereas yeah. like you were saying, the EPL is more you know level-headed. So like Liverpool has never won, but you know in North America, anyways, there are many fans of Liverpool. They're, they're a well-known team, so for them to have supporters, but never, you know, win that title before, it shows the you know how not fair, but how much competition there is year after year in the league instead of just always having the Real Madrid's, the Bayern Munich's, the Patriots, you know. So what do you tell the sports fans that 
are going to be thrown off that they get given the trophy not on the last day or that like you know what's the point if they've already won the title what's the point in playing their last remaining six or seven games uh i guess one thing would be bragging rights to have the best record possible um uh, another thing i I guess winning I, i feel like there's still excitement in watching league games because there's uh champion league spots for other teams to fight over euro year league spots for other teams to fight over fight over so i i get that i get that excitement of um playoff style uh so, so something like what the champions league has that has its own level of excitement that is different uh but i i guess compared to north america like compared to the playoff style of north american sports this way the best team is given it's there's no doubt about it they have won enough games it's not that they did kind of okay and then in the playoffs they had a good run but kind of like the season that warriors had the best record but they still lost to the Cavs in the final like it i think the warriors should have been like they were the best team in the league they just had screwed them over so excitement must, might be lower but you are sure that the best team without a doubt is the one that won does that make any sense or that yeah that makes that makes sense now i i know the epl will probably never change because it's very traditional uh there's something in the uh, british elite hockey league that they have a season champion and then they do a playoffs like North American hockey. So then they have a playoff champion. And then in the season, they kind of have a yeah. uh, Champions League style tournament. And so there's kind of three championships throughout the year. So if you're having a horrible uh, you know, season, kind of like some EPL teams, but if you qualify for the Champions League and you're doing well in that, uh, your fans still have something to cheer for. Do you think, I can't see the EPL doing something like that, but would... Uh, North American League maybe benefit from that? Um, uh, I, I don't I don't know. Like, I guess maybe because one of the things that I didn't like about um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the MLS is that it's kind of like it isn't with, with uh, NBA. They, they got playoffs, right? Like that's, Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I feel like it kind of depends on the sport and like, the mentality you have going into it. So I, 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 don't see, I don't see a reason for this, but it would be nice to have the MLS at least be like the rest of the world because it's North America is the exception of the rule when it comes down to this structure the rest of the world they do the league thing so and there's still also like the fa cup so they could still have something like that mm-hmm. uh, for- well they 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 kind of do for at least here um because they have the um the canadian championship so they have yeah. all the canadian teams whether in the mls or not they compete and then the winner of that goes into the Concacaf uh club group stage and then they compete to go to the uh, the world club World Cup essentially. 
Now with, uh, so yeah, the MLS is, I've seen them switch to almost style a more European without the relegation because they haven't quite decided what league would be a tier two or that's, you know, money and politics with all of that. Uh, but uh, they're, they're kind of doing with the MLS uh, tournament return. The winner of that, regardless if it's a Canadian or American team, gets a spot at the CONCACAF uh, Champions League. So and then uh, so they kind of give them another uh, spot and then the winners of both the American tournament and Canada Cup uh, will get a spot in that as well. So I think to gather to actually to make it into a more outside of North America audience, they have to adhere to the uh, people you know, in Europe and doing tournaments like this, I think will make it more similar so they'll be kind of used, not just kind of looking at their playoff structure and being like, that's kind of really stupid. <laughs> and actually, you know what, uh, once you mentioned the word relegation, uh, that kind of, uh, you know what, I kind of changed my answer because I do feel like it would be pretty awesome to see uh, some sort of a relegation promotion system for, like imagine how cool it would be if like Moose Jaw played in the NHL. Like you would have like a small town hardcore fan base that is playing against the best in the world. So, you know what? I, I changed my answer. I actually do think that more North American sports should adopt at least a relegation promotion mentality. I, I agree. Yeah. I don't know how that was going to work with sports that have drafts. That's going to make things a bit more difficult. Like, I don't know if it, logically that those two things are compatible, but uh, yeah definitely would like to see more in more incentive for teams not to tank and uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem to be working out lately so <laughs> uh no i small teams. like yeah I imagine like having a halifax in the nhl like that would that would be awesome like these are cities that like the sport it's just because on paper it's not making some corporation extra money that i, I don't know so i think i think the football slash soccer will have to be the first because there's already a model for them to follow it. They were, they were trying to make the uh, NSL uh, league, the tier two, but then there was another league that wanted to be a tier two as well. And they were just kind of having a fight about it and they couldn't agree. So there's just no, there's too much politics on, having a tier two it's almost like mls has to just make their own tier two league because a lot of the teams that were in the uh, nasl uh moved up into the msl like minnesota and cincinnati uh, have just recently joined the mls and so they've come from that league there's just too much politics and money and non-financial leagues or teams that were in that league that just kept flip-flopping between the two tier two leagues so i think they just have to decide on one and kind of go from there but once that is settled i think it'll be up to the north american people to decide whether it's viable or not because there could be huge the beer companies and all that would make millions of more dollars than they already do yeah i mean yeah we'll see where it goes it's i mean it's just it's kind of uh discouraging to see after all these years still 
North American sports are dead set on keeping that format. Mm. But maybe they have done marketing research and they know that's not what the consumers want. So, yeah, I mean, I like it's just as someone like me, if, if there was a relegation, like imagine for a Browns fan how bad that <laughs> would be. So, yeah. The Browns coming back from tier four, making it. So, what would be more, I guess, newsworthy or people should cheer for or what would make uh, the most amount of shock that the Wolves finish top five to qualify for the Europa League or Champions League if they catch to number four? Uh, Would that make more news or Man United finishing sixth or worse and not qualifying for anything? Um, So... What is going to happen is that Man U not making it is going to be bigger news just because of the status of the club and how much Man U bias there is in uh, sports media here. Uh, but what actually, from my opinion, would be bigger of a deal is the Wolves making it into... If the Champions League, that's just insane because they two seasons ago they were playing in the championship. So like just within the span of a few years, coming from tier two to the champions league would be unreal. Uh, so yeah, I mean that, that I think people should be cheering for the wolves. Um, they've got a lot of talented players too, that uh, if they make it to the champions league are definitely going to be snatched up by bigger teams like Neves, like not many people have no, I don't know if you've heard of Neves, but he's a midfielder, uh, uh, central midfielder. And, uh, this guy's got like a rocket for a leg. He just scores screamers left and right. You can count on it. They got Jimenez. They got Jota. They got really good talent. And they have a really good coach as well, too. So, yeah, I, I, th- I think people should definitely want to see the Wolves make it in. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I feel like the competition this season is just way too high. I know about all the other big teams plus Leicester City are doing well enough that they might keep the Wolves just out of that uh, Europe spot. So if a team qualifies, uh, I mean, for the Europa League too, but uh, for the Champions League, does that kind of give them incentive to stay? Or uh, is it really up to the club to sell that player or keep that player? Do the players have any say? Um, the players have a say, uh, but it's, I don't know. You, usually what happens in these scenarios is that once a team that comes out of nowhere qualifies for the Champions League, they try to keep their players for one season, that for that Champions League season, and then at the end of that season, because usually the teams don't go too far, they do a fire sale while the value of the players are still high. Uh, I mean, like we saw that with Ajax um, Amsterdam last season, they went really far into the Champions League. And then uh, right after, they basically sold half their team and they made a lot of money doing so. Uh, and it also kind of has, like, depends on who you're talking about. If you're talking about a team like uh, Ajax Amsterdam, which are basically guaranteed to make the Champions League again because of the level of competition they're playing against, then they have 
it won't matter as much if they sell their players, whereas a team like the Wolves, if they sell their players, it's going to be kind of hard to replace them. So they might have the incentive to hold on to those players. Do you think that's why more people stick or are fans to clubs rather than who's on the team because players get sold so often? Uh, that's, that's definitely one part of it. But another thing is just the community. It's uh, people will... Uh, I don't know if you watch any of... I think you, we had the discussion, but you watch Sunderland till I die. The club is going through when you're interviewing the fans. The fans are saying, I don't care how shit they play. They're my club. I'll cheer for them. They're my town. So you rarely... Yeah, I feel like that's, that's one reason, but the main reason why people cheer, like have a strong connection, is just the local pride. They... They rather cheer for their local crappy team in tier four than cheer for Chelsea, which is across the city, but has much better football matches. Even though you can get to the stadium within 40 minutes to watch the game, you are going to choose to cheer for your local area. Do you think the, the kind of the, the notion that you, you can sell a player for a lot higher than you bought them and make it more of like a, they're a product or a commodity, not a person. Do you think that baffles some people in North America who, you know, love the, the players like Tom Brady or, you know, up until recently, they're like, he'll never leave New England. And now they, people have to decide whether they stick with the team or their player. Yeah, because I guess in North America, when that, when a decision like that happens, it's like a Tom Brady scenario. It's, basically only free agency like that's your only time you're going to see that and the club isn't making any money from tom brady leaving it's the player that's making money whereas yeah it's, it would probably be very strange for uh fans of let's say like if, fuck, I'm, I'm so out of uh, loop with, with football but let's say uh uh yeah and let's say if the if the patriots decided to just sell tom brady for 80 million dollars in 2014 I think there will be riots in New England. Whereas here, people are just used to it. They might be bummed out for a night, curse the manager or whoever made the decision, but it's just part of life. And uh, yeah, I don't. I honestly, actually, haven't thought about it too deeply to see what's what's better. I guess I guess uh, there's less stability for players uh, when things like this happen. Like, there's less stability for players in, in football. But they all, that also gives them the opportunity to make more money because anytime they're sold, they get to renegotiate their contract. Whereas in North America, when you trade a player, you're trading them on the contract they have. And then you have a whole, like the players sending out during training, uh, preseason training and all that stuff. You don't really get that here because if you're sold, you just negotiate a new contract. And if the new team doesn't want to give you a contract, you can just say, I'm not moving. You, you, the club can try to sell you, but if you don't come to an agreement with that club, you're stuck back with the team. So, I think that's the best description that anyone could ever have is, you know, the players are controlled by their clubs more than here in North America, whereas uh, the North American teams here, their player unions have or associations have negotiated more rights for the players to have that free agency. Um, but they don't make as much money. So there's that give and take that, you know, the players, the people always say like, oh, it's a contract year and the player 
or the player takes a one-year contract here in North America to prove himself so that he's worth more money. Whereas, you know, in Europe, you can just be like, well, I just scored 25 goals. What's, uh, you going to sell me or what? Yeah. Oh, man, so just when you said that, I'm just for some reason, the only thing that went through my head was Lithrell Strevel. <laughs> That's the guy that pops up to my uh, head. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you don't get you don't get much of that here. <laughs> so, with the Champions League, do you uh, do you like that they're going to go to? Uh, I mean, it's already a tournament style, just over yeah. many many months. Do you think having it all within you know a few weeks uh, will that work? Will people uh, be excited about that? Are they just going to be excited that you know the Champions League is back, or do you think it's uh, people are going to still complain? Uh, I think people are going to complain and one of the main reasons is going to be the drop in the quality of the football because even right now when I, the games that I'm watching, uh, both Bundesliga, the couple of Spanish games that I watch, the EPL games I watch, the quality of the game is lower. And I think because the, the domestic leagues have been condensed and so many games happening at the same time and then you're going to have a condensed Champions League, you're going to have things like injury, way more fatigue so i think fans are going to be complaining this year about the champions league and i feel like it, it they are right to do so because the quality is not going to be there but what can you do it's if you want to watch the game these this is your option you beggars can't be choosers right so Do you think there's, uh, besides the NFL, is there a market for any other North American sports uh, to become bigger in the UK or Europe? Uh, absolutely. Basketball, 100%. Um, when, when I go to the parks here, uh, even during lockdown, like when it was this restricted, the most strict lockdown, part of lockdown, there were kids at basketball courts uh, playing basketball. So I think that has the potential, but then again, um, the, the time zone issue, that's, that's the biggest thing. And here I haven't seen that many people talk about EuroLeague at all, even though they are in Europe, technically. <laughs> so, I, I'm actually, sorry, let's not get political. Uh, it, they're, they're close to Europe, so the time zones work. Uh, so yeah, I definitely see basketball being the being the next big thing here. There's a lot of good talent. Like just the pickup games that I watched, people are like the ones that care, care, and they're good. You see a lot of basketball jerseys. Uh, the football thing, I feel like the NFL fans here are a kind of more the fan of the idea of cheering for the NFL because of the cultural significance of it that it has in the Anglo-speaking world rather than actually caring about the sports itself or knowing much about it. It's so, yeah, like you don't see that many people throwing a football around in, in a park here, whereas you see people play pickup basketball all the time. Uh, I, I don't see the baseball ever becoming a thing here. At least not in the UK. <laughs> I've, I've seen videos of uh, the Great Britain baseball team, and oh, man. <laughs> it's like oh. a high school pickup game, it's, right? It really, oh, man, it's bad. Um, speaking of that, so 
the basketball, I agree that, you know, with however many leagues there are of basketball in Europe and how many more Europeans have come over to the NBA, do you think that at least Great Britain or the UK, that they're kind of where Canada was at around 1999, the year 2000, where Vince Carter was just coming into his own and maybe in 10, 20 years, can't like Canada has now risen as a, a rising power in the basketball community. Do you think that the UK could mimic that? Um, I feel like they're a bit behind. They're, they're probably like early 90s where Canada was. So there's there's already been a couple of British players in the NBA. So the talent is there. And I don't know if you know about uh, Hakeem Olajuwon's son plays here. And he's being hyped up a bit. So I think they're going to improve, but they're not They're They're still at least one generation sorry yeah they're one generation to be where basketball was in canada in the late 90s so there is potential but it's still there the problem is that uh in the schools like the schooling system doesn't invest too much time or money on basketball like they have netball which is like a joke version of basketball that but only women play it like you don't see male netball players so yeah, I think for it to actually become as big as it, because in Canada, we played it in high school. Like it was a part of our uh, curriculum, yeah, but it's, it's not here. And that's because they just have so many other, they got a cricket, they got rugby. So, yeah. What, what do you think, at least here, here in Canada, we can't talk about the States, but when, uh, when it comes to world championships or the Olympics, uh, when a Canadian team qualifies in something like field hockey, or yeah. uh, handball or something like that. That makes, at least if you pay attention to sports, that makes yeah. news. It goes on the CBC, articles are written about how, you know, even if they finish dead last and don't score any goals, what a fantastic, you know, opportunity and experience it is for those athletes. Do you think the same thing happens if, uh, you know, Great Britain baseball or Great Britain basketball team qualifies for something like the Olympics? Uh, just judging on how they interact with sport, their national sports team in sports that they are good at, I would, I would assume that they would be very passionate and they would cheer for their team. Uh, yeah, so there's, there's definitely like a hunger for sports and people, it's not, people are not close-minded towards North American sports or sports that Brits are not traditionally good at. It's just, again, it comes back to, like, how realistic is it to see uh, Great Britain in the Olympics with the comp competition that is in Europe that they have to qualify against France and Germany and Spain, these countries, Russia, all these countries are going to... So if it does happen, it will definitely make the news. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not holding my breath. And, and, and neither, <laughs> neither is any British person. I think they, they kind of know uh, that's that's... That is very unlikely. All right. So uh, last few questions. Uh, out of your experience, what is talked about the least? The NHL, the MLB, or the MLS? Um, I, w I would say the MLB. Because uh, when... The summer season is when MLB is happening, and while some, well, last time like during the summer is typically 
at least the past two years, there have been something major like cricket or rugby happening. So people are just distracted with the local sports here. Uh, but that's not to say that I've seen too many people talk about NHL. However, I do know that there is, there are NHL fans here. There are hockey fans here because uh, unlike with baseball, where the Brits have their own version, which is cricket, if you want to call it, but there is no equivalent. There's field hockey, but it's not the same. So like, I, I find MLB is talked about the least and probably the sport, the baseball as a whole, the sport that is made fun of the most. Just, like, it's funny to me that people who watch cricket say baseball is boring. Because even though they're both pretty boring, baseball's still like miles ahead compared to cricket. Cricket is just too confusing, too slow. Yeah. It it took me an entire summer to kind of get the ground basic knowledge of cricket. So it took me three months to just be like, okay, okay. I remember, I think like last summer it was, uh, England was playing New Zealand or something. I think, yeah, it was England playing New Zealand in the cricket or some something. It's essentially, England was playing someone. And I remember coming into the living room to the f- friends that are watching the game. And I, like, I see the score is like 85 for, uh, I think it was New Zealand, and then one for Britain. And I'm like, holy crap, Britain is getting their ass kicked. And then like, even like, even like my girlfriend, who is not a huge sports fan, she's just like, no, that's not how the scoring works. <laughs> like, one team goes first, and then the other team does the other thing. It's like, oh, I see. It, yeah, oh, I, I'm going to do a deep dive, but I think it, it might have to be over a couple episodes, just how intuitive cricket is. And I just, I need to <laughs> mentally prepare for that. Uh, and the final question is, so we get a, we get a, I know, so sad. You'll be back though. You'll be back. This is not the last you've heard. Uh, there's a vaccine or there's uh, a treatment, something, and we can allow people back at sporting events. And we kind of go back to quote unquote, our new normal, if you will. How fast do you think the first person, it'll take the first person to get to a ticket booth to purchase a ticket for a soccer match? Uh, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's fights outside <laughs> of, uh, I mean like the system here is like uh, very electronic you rarely you, you can't even really buy tickets unless you are going to a tier 4 game like if I'm going to a lane Orient game near my house I can walk there and know that I'm going to be able to get a ticket uh, if they're not playing a rival I, I can get a ticket at the stadium but outside of that, it's, it's all electronic. And a lot of them, it's uh, there's like a lot of people have season tickets. It's just really hard to find tickets on resale. So I, I, I've been lucky enough to have friends who are season ticket holders, which is why I ended up going to full of matches. Otherwise, it would be very difficult to find tickets. And uh, yeah, if you have like supporters of like club fan, what do you call it? What do they call them? Fan clubs? Oh, fan yeah. clubs or booster clubs, yeah. Yeah, 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 those guys. Like those guys get a priority for buying tickets over a random person like me. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us. I know the time difference is uh, never easy when an ocean separates us, but uh, thanks for coming on the Sports United podcast, and we'll talk to you uh, in a little bit when it comes to the uh, Champions League.
Awesome. Uh, yeah, man, thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah, you do it. I've been listening to a couple of episodes. Uh, good job. And uh, yeah, glad that it can help. Thank you so much, Caster, for joining us. And we will definitely be talking with you very shortly when the Champions League begins or if another huge story breaks in Europe. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Sports United podcast. Thank you very much for joining us uh, again today. If you have any recommendations, email us, sportsunitedpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on our social media, Sports United Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and Sports United Pod 1 on Twitter. Looking for your suggestions, looking for your uh, input. And hey, the MLS tournament is starting up next week. If anyone is interested to do a watch-along party, you can do that. If you're interested, email us, let us know on social media, and we will get that set up. But thank you very much. That's going to do it. Enjoy. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, happy belated Canada Day for all of those uh, who live in Canada. And happy 4th of July coming up for our American listeners. So thank you all. Have a very wonderful week. Hopefully it's filled with watching sports, playing sports maybe even, staying safe, and sporting on.